This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Welcome to Monday Matinee on the Mutual Audio Network, hosted by Pete Lutz. The following audio drama is rated PG-13, suggesting that children under the age of 13 should listen accompanied with an adult. and welcome to the Sonic Society, the world's largest showcase of modern audio theater. This is episode 640. I'm Jack Ward here in the comfy social quarters of the Mutual Building Penthouse with my co-host David Alt. David, one thing we haven't talked about is how devastating this outbreak of COVID-19 has been upon artisans who require an audience and opportunity. I know you live in that world. Can you share some of what you've heard yourself? Well, uh, yes, it has been um, quite difficult. When all the schools shut down, that was a huge part of uh, what I do, just gone, just like that. My tutoring I've been able to take online for some of it, but our exams have been cancelled. So there are plenty of people that have said, well, we're not doing exams, so we don't need a tutor, which, again, it, it sucks. What has been really good, though, uh, has been to see how everyone, the audio drama in the entertainment world, rallying around, pulling together some amazing little bits of uh, online theatre. It's shown that if there's one thing that we really need, it's the arts, especially when you're there, uh, when people are there watching Netflix and, uh, and reading books and doing all this. It's the arts, and it's the arts that we turn to in times of crisis and emergency, and it, it shows how much they're needed. Absolutely. I mean, we go to grocery stores for food, we go to gas stations for fuel, and we go to the arts to feed the soul. Exactly, yes. And I, I know that I've, I've just posted in our, I have a Facebook group for, uh, I call it Audition Nova Scotia, for people who are in the local area because I've been seeing posts upon posts of local theater groups basically having to close things down Mm, and and mm -hmm. they require that money. So many people who are producing new shows and requiring so many people to show up and provide, you know, some patronage for what's, what's going on. And so my heart goes out to all people who do this work, artwork, and I know the curtain will rise again at some point, but at this time, just you know, take the time if you can, write more work, paint more, practice more, dance, whatever it is that brings your artistry out and your creativity out. I know us, the people out here who love to partake in the arts, are going to be just as excited and ready to come back and, and see what you've produced. And also take some time for yourself. Because it's very easy in this world that we have been living in to be running at such a frenetic pace that uh, you, you just have no time to stop, to sit, to relax, to let yourself expand. Yes, and get bored. Yeah. 
so that you can then stimulate your creativity. But certainly, it, the the same pace that the world has been going at is just it's just not sustainable. So do take some time for yourself, rest, relax, and recuperate, and and use this time. Yeah, and and there's a whole story about sharpening the saw. You know, the idea that mm. if you cut wood all the time and never take a time to actually stop, mm-hmm. sharpen the saw, and think yep. about it. You really don't don't grow. And I, I couldn't agree more that, you know, that self-care is is so important to be able to mm-hmm. get yourself strong enough and and creatively strong enough to be able to jump out again and come up with new and more interesting stuff. Yeah, don't you don't need to run at frenetic paces to be able to make it happen. So but for now, speaking of which, it's time to sit back and relax and listen to this week's feature from Ashton McCauley and Lee James with A Man of the Mountain, which tells us the story of Jonas, a man hell-bent on maintaining the Bigfoot legend, and Shirley, the intrepid tabloid reporter trying to stop him. Danger escalates when real monster hunters are called in and the chase begins. Yes, this is based on the prequel to the acclaimed novel Whiteout, a Nick Ventner adventure by Ashton McCauley, now out in paperback, hardcover, and digital anywhere books are sold. So without further ado, A Man of the Mountain begins right here on the Sonic Society. A Man of the Mountain, written by Ashton McCauley, narrated by Lee James, performances by Lee James and Sarah Ruth Thomas, published by Aberrant Literature. Chapter One, Routine. The snow had just begun to fall when Jonas opened the tired wooden door of his cabin and stepped outside. The warmth at his back swallowed instantly by the chilled mountain air. A pair of massive fur-covered snowshoes jangled restlessly at his side. The sky had taken on an orange tint as the sun sank low in its arc. It was only half past three and it was clear the days were still growing shorter. In the distance, dark clouds were building. Jonas knew that by nightfall, the snow could be several feet deep. While most would have been preparing for the oncoming storm, he felt completely at ease. The worse the weather, the less likely he would be to run into hikers on the upper trails. Tourists tended to turn back at the first sign of inclement weather. Over the years, Jonas had become adept at navigating the mountain through clear skies and whiteouts. He would need to be cautious, but the storm wouldn't be a problem. The cabin he called home for the last five years was positioned five miles off the nearest hiking trail. The terrain leading to it was largely considered impassable. Occasionally, there were some overzealous youths who fancied themselves explorers, but Jonas tried to think about them as little as possible. They never made it very far and ended up paying the ultimate price for their foolishness. He took one last look at the warmth of his cabin windows, picked up his pack and promised to have a good drink by the fire upon his return. The trees around his cabin shook as the wind blew through them with a hollow whine. Jonas popped in a pair of earbuds and put on a classic rock playlist. The foreboding noises of the forest were drowned out by a riff from Rush. It was a song about warring trees and he chuckled as he began his walk. The way to the main trail was treacherous, 
running the gamut between steep ravines and technical rocky switchbacks. When Jonas had arrived, the path was nearly impassable. Over the years, he had slowly worked away at it, making each trip a little easier, at least for someone who knew his way. For others, one step could mean the difference between life and death. Spending every waking moment on the mountain made Jonas sure-footed. Walking through the forest filled him with a sense of pride. He considered how blessed the last five years had been. Back in the city, something as simple as ordering a cup of coffee was a struggle. The navigation of small talk was like strolling through a minefield. Often, by the time he had thought of something to say, minutes had passed and people were staring. As a result, he had made the decision to live reclusively, which, in a small town, wasn't exactly accepted. While Jonas might have been slightly abnormal in his distaste for conversation, he was otherwise ordinary. He possessed a slightly above average IQ, moderate good looks, and was tall enough that no one questioned him for long. Overall, he had rolled lucky genetic dice, and he hated it. His appearance made others think he was approachable, and that just made things harder. Despite his retreat into the mountains, Jonas had still managed to keep himself clean-shaven, resisting the urge to grow his beard out to mythical proportions. Though he never saw anyone, self-grooming had become a ritual and there was comfort in repetition. On most days, his activities followed a set plan and he took great ease from the structure. No interruptions, no distractions, just life. By the time he reached the main hiking trails, the clear skies had turned slate grey and heavy white flakes were falling intermittently. He stopped, unshouldered his pack and took out his earbuds with a sigh. The storm would be good for deterring hikers, but it meant he wasn't going to be leaving any tracks either. Guess I'll just have to do with a few slashes and samples. Jonas's employers weren't particular about how he worked, so long as he got the job done. He unclipped the snowshoes and examined them for abnormalities. They had been specially designed to leave authentic footprints. Any variation might tip off an eager cryptozoologist to the fallacy. While they were covered in brown fur, the tread had been constructed from an artificial semi-soft plastic meant to resemble organic material. Jonas wasn't sure how closely anyone would check the tracks he left, but his employer's word was law. Satisfied that they were in working order, Jonas strapped the shoes on and pulled the rest of his suit from the bag. To the untrained eye, it might have just appeared to be a bundle of matted fur. To Jonas, it was his second life. With ease, he slipped into the suit, fastened it tight and pulled up the thick hood. It had been reinforced to make his head appear about twice its normal size and was great for keeping out the chill. The finishing touch to the ensemble was a pair of gloves meant to look like large furry paws. Embedded in the tip of each finger was a long, razor-sharp claw. 
he slid his hands in and swiped experimentally at a tree to his left, leaving four long gouges in the bark. The claws tore through the wood like tissue paper, sending strips of wood flying. Satisfied, Jonas grinned. In the suit, he felt more like himself than he did anywhere else. He buried his pack in the snow beneath the tree he had marked and set off. Even with the empty slopes, Jonas kept his performance authentic. His casual walk became a thick lumber. Every breath was a primal grunt. Ordinarily, he would have stuck to the higher elevation trails, but the weather provided a unique opportunity. The closer he got to the beginner hiking areas, the more likely his samples were to be discovered. No one makes the History Channel without taking a few risks. Once he felt it was close enough, Jonas started the real work. For hours, he ran through the growing storm, snapping small trees like twigs, slashing at bark, and occasionally ripping out a chunk of fur to leave on a branch. The samples had been custom curated by his employer to be unidentifiable and able to withstand harsh conditions. The wind whipped, snow fell in heavy flakes, and Jonas listened gleefully as his howls echoed off the empty forest surrounding him. The evening was perfect. He felt a lightness in his heart that was rare, even on the best of days. Jonas turned his head towards the sky to stare into the abyss above and became lost in the snowfall. A blinding white light erupted from the trees, shattering his calm and freezing Jonas in place. Oh no. He felt the happiness melt out of him, leaving behind a cold lump in his chest. The light was unmistakably directed at him, and despite the thicket between him and the source, he knew he had been seen. Knowing already what the answer was, Jonas turned his head to look for the source. Not 10 feet away was a frost-covered hiker in a bright orange coat, visibly shivering. Shit! And today was going so well. Hello? Thank goodness I found you. I got lost and can't seem to make my way back to the main trail. The hiker's voice quavered. How could I have missed him? The answer was obvious. You were careless, you stupid son of a bitch. Sir, I can see you there. Can you please help me? My cell is dead. Turn the light away, idiot. Jonas could only pretend for so long. Please help me. The tremor in his voice grew. Should have just walked away. Jonas took a deep breath and stepped out from behind the trees. The white light nearly blinded him and he lifted a massive fur-covered arm to shield his eyes. At a distance, the suit might have seemed intimidating, but in the cold close-up of a flashlight, there was no way the hiker would believe it. The hiker stared forward, silent, confused. Jonas let out what he intended to be a primal yowl, but it died in his throat along the way. Oh, that practice for nothing. He stamped the large snowshoes, kicking up miniature flurries, adding to the storm. It did the trick. The hiker turned and started to run. The light of the flashlight was suddenly gone, leaving the forest in full dark once more. Jonas watched as the cone of light bounced away. 
Ah, maybe he'll run off a cliff or freeze to death. It was no use. He was out of options. The risk of the hiker making it back down the mountain was too great, and his employers had been very specific about loose ends. Jonas steeled himself and took chase. It had taken a while in the early years, but as time passed, he became quite adept at running in the snowshoes. In no time at all, he caught up to the man who was stumbling and tripping his way through the growing snowpack. I'm really sorry about this. Jonas raised his hand to strike. He took careful aim at the man's neck, but stumbled at the last moment and struck him in the torso. Jonas's claws found their way between the hiker's ribs and into his lungs. The hiker fell forward into the snow, pulling Jonas along with him. His claws punched further into the hiker as he landed on top of him, crunching through muscle and bone and out the front of his chest. Together, they briefly slid through the snow like a macabre toboggan, leaving a deep red swath in the pure white snow behind them. Jonas lay upon the hiker with his claws still buried deep, panting from the exertion. He had to fight back revulsion. It was his messiest kill to date and hadn't been quick by any stretch. Jonas stood, the front of his suit soaked with blood and his claws still wedged tight between the hiker's ribs. He yanked his arms back, lifting the hiker to his knees where the claws dislodged and slid free with a sickening squelch. The hiker gagged and spluttered, trying desperately to breathe but inhaling only his own blood. Oh, God. A sickening feeling of dread began to churn in his stomach. The hiker reached one gloved hand out, as if still expecting help. His eyes bulged, pleading, terrified. Jesus. Persistent? I'll give you that. He always tried to make the end quick, but it missed his mark this time. Death was bad enough when the executioner was a professional. He stepped forward and pressed his claws against the hiker's throat. I'm sorry. Then plunged his claws through the hiker's neck, ending his life with a hollow gurgle. The forest went silent. Jonas was alone once again. Pulling the claws out, Jonas collapsed back into the snow, panting and watching the steam rise off the hiker's mangled corpse. Dizziness and nausea swept over him. Botched kills were never easy to look at. That's why there are signs, moron! Don't stay in the park after dark! The sound of his voice echoed back to him. Shouting the rules into the ether made him feel almost justified. After a few minutes, he managed to stand. The storm had briefly abated, allowing pale moonlight to illuminate the scene. It was grisly, but looked genuine. Despite the ugly nature of it, Jonas had done his job and done it well. He took off one of his gloves and pulled out a small cell phone. With frozen fingers, he typed. 
Bigfoot kills again. Third hiker found on the north side of the mountain this year. He looked it over, added his GPS location and pressed send. A Man of the Mountain, written by Ashton McCauley, narrated by Lee James and featuring performances by Lee James and Sarah Ruth Thomas, published by Aberrant Literature. Music and sound effects licensed under Creative Commons. Awkward Meeting, Supernatural Haunting, Darkness is Calling, Chase Pulse, Apotheosis Ghostpocalypse, Kevin MacLeod, Incompitech.com. For a detailed listing of the music and sound effects used and their associated links, refer to the episode's description. From the incomparable mind of Ashton McCauley comes a novel people are hailing as an instant classic. White Out, a Nick Ventner adventure. Nick Ventner has two defining characteristics. He is both a profound drunk and a damn good monster hunter. In White Out, Nick's skills are put to the test as he is tasked with searching the mountains of the Himalayas for the lost gates of Shangri-La. Unfortunately for Nick, his arch-nemesis Manchester also has his sights set on the gates and the hefty reward that goes with it. The two are pitted in a race to the top of the mountains, a race made all the more troublesome by a yeti that has been terrorizing the lands. Featuring death-defying action and a hilarious wit, Whiteout by Ashton McCauley is the next great adventure in American fiction. Find Whiteout today in ebook, hardcover, and paperback versions, online and everywhere books are sold. Published by Aberrant Literature. A Man of the Mountain. Written by Ashton McCauley. Narrated by Lee James. Performances by Lee James and Sarah Ruth Thomas. Published by Aberrant Literature. Chapter 2. The News. The hike back to the cabin was always harder and made worse by the persistent images of the bloody hiker stealing Jonas's every thought. He didn't feel remorse so much as disgust. I'll have to do better next time. The chill had also crept deep into his limbs, despite the suit's insulation. He felt a strange mix of pride and melancholy. Clearly I need to study more. Over the years, Jonas had researched exactly where to strike to quicken death. But in the heat of the moment, precision was difficult. The kill had looked authentic, but guilt for the hiker's pain had nestled in the back of his mind. In the end, he knew killing the man had been just business and couldn't be helped. But the suffering that had gone along with it was squarely on him. Through the trees, he could see the cabin's single light, like a beacon in the darkness. His rumination was interrupted by the sight of a brown paper package on his doorstep. The supply drops from his employers were the only contact he received from the outside world, and the only kind he wanted. He stepped out of his snowshoes, picked up the package and went inside. The embers in the fireplace had gone out, but the cabin's warmth was still a stark relief from the cold outside. He took a moment to feel the heat prickle through his leaden hands. The drink he had promised himself called, but there was work to be done first. Jonas took off his boots and put the package down by his chair, trying not to drip any blood on the carpet. 
He then moved to the back of the cabin where there was a large furnace disguised as a hot water heater. Just the sight of it was enough to ease his tension. He stripped off his suit and everything beneath it, careful not to leave any evidence as he put each piece into the garbage bags. The furnace was a clean slate, erasing everything but the legend that was left by his deeds. The fires within were the closest thing he knew to a benevolent god. Concealed on the right side of the furnace was a small toggle. Jonas flipped it and listened to the sound of the flames igniting below. He removed the cover of the hot water heater and pulled open a hatch, revealing a black chute with a deep orange glow beneath it. He took the bags and savoured the sound they made as they slid down the chute to the chasm below. For a moment, he just stood, naked, listening to the muted bangs of the expanding steel in the cold winter air. It was all so familiar, and he found comfort in the routine. Slowly, he breathed in and out, holding each lungful as long as possible. Invigoration spread through him at the sound of the clothes burning, and he found the energy to go pour the drink he had promised himself. Sitting in the back of a dusty cabinet in his small kitchen was an unmarked bottle of brown liquid. Jonas rinsed out a tumbler that had been sitting next to the sink and filled it. Through the tiny window, he could see heavy flakes continuing to fall. Ah, that's going to be a bitch to shovel in the morning. He lifted the glass to his lips and drank slowly, savouring every drop. His employers only dropped booze on celebratory occasions, making it rare. A tentative mental ease began to settle over his mind. He walked the short distance from the kitchen to the living room and sat down in a moth-eaten easy chair. On an end table next to it was a coaster and a remote. Jonas set his drink down and turned on the television. Getting reception without a paper trail had been tricky, but it was his one condition for employment. Slowly the screen warmed up and Jonas saw the familiar logo of the History Channel in the top right corner. He never changed the channel. They were the only reliable source for news on the strange and mythological, at least when it wasn't airing reruns about the exploits of pawn shop owners. Jonas followed the cryptozoology programs religiously. They had been his inspiration for years. He took another drink and sweet fire ran down the back of his throat. The cabin took on a muted coziness. The walls of the cabin creaked from the heavy wind outside but it was no longer his problem. He was in a safe place, watching his favourite program, and he had done the work of legends. A familiar theme song started up and Jonas turned his attention to the TV. Tonight on Manson's Mysteries, the thrilling conclusion to our three-part hunt of Mexico's legendary Chupacabra. The title screen faded away to reveal a handsome man in a khaki suit, standing in the desert. It's been 14 days in this oppressive heat, and we've finally caught up to what might be our greatest adversary yet. Manson was one of Jonas's heroes. He always seemed so poised and collected. Even in the scorching heat of the Mexican desert, his brow barely beaded with sweat, and his demeanour was relaxed. The man was tactical, resourceful, and most importantly, brought legitimacy to myths that most deemed fantasy. He was the reckoning and Jonas knew that one day, if he was lucky enough, he would face him. Seeing the Chupacabra's coverage filled Jonas with jealousy. It was a much easier myth to maintain than his own, 
assuming, of course, that it was a myth. While most Bigfoot sightings in the area could be attributed to Jonas, he had no idea what other myths his employers funded. Either way, the fabled desert bloodsucker had a simpler legend with less carnage. Sure, some pets would get eaten, but the people the Chupacabra encountered left with their lives. Sasquatch, on the other hand, had a long and bloody history, decimating mining towns and dismembered hikers in its wake. There had been a few gimmicky television shows where enthusiasts would go hunting Bigfoot in the woods, but they were inevitably cancelled. In the end, their handheld camera footage was easily spotted as forgery, and the majority of their samples were just dog fur. Most of the people who truly believed in the myth weren't out for their 15 minutes of fame and stayed quiet about it. Jonas had run into one of these believers setting up cameras in the woods, only miles from his cabin. It had not ended well. Jonas drained his tumbler. The real item was Manson's mysteries. Yes, like most shows on the History Channel, it was cheesy, but Manson was the real deal. Jonas had spent hours pouring through the darkest corners of the internet researching Rick Manson. If the rumours were true, he was part of an ancient monster hunting society that very few were admitted to. Beneath the plastic smile and the well-lit promos, Jonas knew Manson was a hunter. He returned his attention to the program and saw Rick standing with an arm around a dazed child. The boy staggered and nearly fell. Manson steadied him, explaining how chupacabras drain their victims of blood and that the poor child was likely anemic. If we had not been here an hour earlier, this young man might not have been as lucky. Thanks to our excellent team, he's going home safe tonight. Manson patted the child's head a little too aggressively, causing him to wobble and nearly fall over. A hand reached from off-screen to steady the child and moved just as quickly out of frame. Jonas reached to his side and slid the box he had brought in from the porch out in front of him. He took out a knife and sliced through the packing tape. Inside was the usual. New boots, gloves, suit, as well as other provisions for the week. How they knew when he was going to need it. Jonas would never understand, but he was thankful for their timeliness. As he pulled out the items, he found a small note rolled up. It simply read, keep up the good work. Beneath it was a copy of the local eye, a tabloid from Clearwater, and the only source willing to report on the attacks. The headline alone made Jonas's heart soar. Mysterious creature kills again. He read on to find the reporter critical of the statement from local authorities, claiming the deaths on the mountain had simply been bear attacks. All signs indicate that there has been no movement in the local bear populations and no significant events to disturb hibernation patterns. Once again, we must urge hikers to use caution when out late in the day and into the evening. The paper went on to speculate about the origins of the attacks, citing several out-of-focus images of Sasquatch. Jonas couldn't help but laugh. The images were obvious forgery and had nothing to do with him. But any coverage was good coverage. He read on and felt a light flutter as he came to the final line. We are making an open plea to the monster hunting community. We know you're out there. Please, come and investigate before we lose more innocent lives. Jonas felt a wave of elation wash over him and his heart beat fast in his chest. He had to read the line three times just to believe it was real. 
the chance that someone like Manson would actually come was slim, but any chance at all was better than none. Below the article was a picture of a woman that had spotted him a week earlier. Recently, hikers have been getting bolder, even in the winter months. That was a good death. Over the years, he had researched exactly where to strike during a confrontation. While none of it could be said to be painless, most of the time, he was able to make it quick. The grislier deaths made for better headlines, but Jonah saw no need for extra suffering at an already unpleasant occasion. He read over the article once more and spotted the author's name, Shirley Codwell. She had been a godsend over the years, doing her research and providing actual coverage where others would not. He felt a connection with her, despite never having met or even seen her. Every year, his employers allowed him down the mountain for one day, and every year Jonas thought about trying to see her. Inevitably, he never went down the mountain at all, but it was nice to know there was the option. His heart swelling with pride, Jonas took the clipping gently and grabbed a thumbtack from the cup on the table. Looking up at the walls of his cabin, it was getting difficult to find space. Throughout his tenure on the mountain, there had been quite a few pieces, and he saved every one of them. They were all tacked to the wall behind the television, making the glowing screen feel almost like an altar. Finally, he found a spot, stood up, and pinned the article. Thank you, Shirley. He touched the paper one last time, savouring the fleeting connection. Reluctantly, Jonas turned off the TV, threw the dirty tumbler in the sink, and doused the lamp. The furnace clicked off on its automatic timer, and he made his way to the creaky bed that lie next to it. The intoxicating thought of real monster hunters coming to Clearwater put him at ease. He slept deeply, with dreams of legends filling his head. From acclaimed author Ashton McCauley comes the novel people are hailing as an instant classic, Whiteout, a Nick Ventner adventure. Christian Walls says Ashton McCauley has brought to life an amazing world of the supernatural. Kyle Bennon remarks, Whiteout does an amazing job of mixing suspense, drama and humour. Alicia Jewett says, Whiteout is a thrilling story with great writing. The kind of book that has you wanting to reach for the next one as soon as you finish the last page. And Nathan Hodgson exclaims, the pages practically turn themselves. Whiteout by Ashton McCauley. Available in ebook, hardcover, and paperback versions. Online and everywhere books are sold. Published by Aberrant Literature. Chapter 3 Shirley. From behind her battered, coffee-stained desk, Shirley more closely resembled a librarian than a journalist. Stacks of books littered her office, their titles ranging from My Encounter with the Wild Man of the Forest to Big Head, Big Hands, Big Foot. 
Between these accumulations of literature were equally tall piles of hand-scrawled notes. It was a stark comparison to the other offices at the local eye, most of which were filled with photos of minor celebrities caught in risque positions and forged headlines about the second coming. While her editors had encouraged her to chase more inspiring stories, such as water stains shaped like Elvis at local dive bars, Shirley wasn't interested. While the first story about the Beast of the Mountain had been a gimmick, it quickly developed into more. Not two weeks after the first article had run, Shirley had covered her walls with questionable trail reports, statements from half-drunk park rangers and blurry amateur photographs taken by passing hikers. To complete the full caricature of conspiracy, they were all connected with lines of red string. She peered over the steam of her morning coffee at the most recent headline she had crafted. It was a deep dive into yet another bear attack that had left a hiker dead. She felt a wave of anger at the indifference of the local authorities and the sheer idiocy of their explanations. Sure, the first few attacks could have been accidents. Rogue bears were uncommon, but they did exist. However, her suspicion grew after the third attack with the same bullshit explanation. Interviews revealed nothing. No one had spotted a bear or even any evidence of migration on the mountain. Still, after each attack, local authorities would say the same thing. In the past five years, nearly 10 hikers had died on the mountain. Just thinking about it brought on a wave of anxiety and Shirley pulled a plastic orange medicine bottle from her drawer. The stash was supposed to be for emergencies only, but recently it felt like every day at the local eye qualified. She shook out a pill, put it beneath her tongue and leaned back in her chair. For a while, she just stared at the dark stain on the ceiling directly above her. Sometimes, on darker days, she imagined that it was the brains of the copywriter who had come before her. Suicides were more common than resignations at the tabloid, but that was mostly because no one left. There were only three positions on the town's reputable paper, and the local eye paid better as it sold more. It was an easy gig and a simple trap to fall into. As the pill went to work, she thought back to the end of her article and the call to action she had made. Would anyone come to help? There were plenty of people who fancied themselves monster hunters, but who knew if they were the real deal? Even if they were, she doubted they'd be reading the local eye. The clang of the old rotary phone in the next room jolted Shirley back to reality, shattering any brief sense of calm she had felt. Phone calls were rare and exciting at the local eye. Most often they were death threats, but one in ten was a solid lead. Shirley leapt up, determined to be the first one to it. She burst through the door of her office into the hallway, but another employee was already answering. George. She muttered his name like a curse. George was portly, balding, and picking up the receiver with an excitement he usually reserved for tinfoil hats. The phone was nearly to his ear when Shirley snatched it from his hand. Before he could protest, she answered, trying to calm herself and project journalistic integrity. George's framed, Alien Obama stole my colon headline made it difficult. Local Eye News, this is Shirley. You're the one that wrote the article about Bigfoot. It was a man's voice, slow and dull. Questions about her work were rare. 
Usually, it was some hick, asking if her encounters with Bigfoot had been sexual in nature and breathing heavily. Yes. Did you enjoy the article? She knew full well he hadn't. He ought to lock you up for spewing that crazy bullshit. (laughs) There was a wheezing laugh, and the line went dead. Shirley slowly lowered the phone back to the cradle, using every ounce of restraint not to smash it into a thousand pieces. Glad you took it instead of me. George smiled, taking a sip from a knockoff X-Files mug that read, Look at the skies. The town might have thought Shirley was crazy, but at least she wasn't the one voluntarily covering abductions, sightings and casual alien encounters. Sure, the stories had gotten George tenure and an office chair that actually rolled, but she had a dignity. You know how it is, George. Can't let them get to you. Her tone was far calmer than she felt. Just as she was going to leave the conversation with the moral high ground, the phone rang again. Her blood boiled, making the response fast and angry. Shirley snatched up the receiver, shouting, What? I'm sorry. I was under the impression you were looking for help. But if you'd rather just scream at us... (gasps) Wait! Shirley gasped with just a little too much desperation. George watched the conversation intently. There's no need to shout. We're on a tight schedule and we need to speak with Shirley Codwell. Shirley wiped her brow and tried to find calm. It was like searching for a jelly bean in a ball pit. I'm Shirley. Yes. How can I help you? Ah, Miss Codwell. Good to meet you. There was a pause, followed by the shuffling of papers. Then, with a deep sigh, the man continued... As I understand it, you're the one who needs our help. The man's voice was full of the special brand of condescension held for tabloid writers. Shirley recognised it well. As fortune would have it, one of our specials ran short, and we've got a few weeks of filler time before Rick heads into the Amazon. Shirley barely heard the man's words. It's really happening. After all the shit articles and side stories, I'm going to make a difference. She thought of the headlines that would come after the famous Rick Manson killed the Beast of the Mountain and the town was safe again. She might even be able to show her face in town without getting disgusted looks. Miss Codwell? Yes? Shirley was in a daze. Does that timetable work for you? She hadn't heard a word of the timetable. Absolutely. Thank you so much for fitting us into your busy schedule. Of course. We'll be in Clearwater with a film crew by Tuesday. You will receive a list of necessary items for the cast and crew. If one item on the list is missing, the crew turns around. Got it? Shirley had to bite back her sarcastic instinct. Of course. Whatever they need. Splendid. Have a nice day. Before she could clarify anything, the line clicked and was replaced by a dial tone. Blood was still pumping hot through Shirley's veins as she set the phone down. Tuesday was almost a week away but one look at the filing system spread across her office floor let her know it would be a series of long nights. Who was it? George did little to hide his hunger for gossip. Shirley tried to remain nonchalant. Just the History Channel. They want to do a special on the Beast of the Mountain. With that, she turned away and walked back into her office to begin the mammoth task of reorganising her research into a digestible format. There's not enough coffee in the world to accomplish this. 
A Man of the Mountain. Written by Ashton McCauley. Narrated by Lee James. Performances by Lee James and Sarah Ruth Thomas. Published by Aberrant Literature. Music and sound effects licensed under Creative Commons. Chase Pulse. News theme. Missed on the Moor. Kevin McLeod in Computech.com. Impatience. Punch Deck at punch underscore deck. For a detailed listing of the music and sound effects used and their associated links, refer to the episode's description. Aberrant Literature is proud to present the next great anthology in modern fiction, Aberrant Tales, edited by Jason Peters. Most anthologies are content to sit in one lane, offering bland, repetitive versions of the same types of stories. Aberrant Tales is different. Aberrant literature turns the anthology on its head by blending together multiple genres within the realms of science fiction, fantasy, and horror. With Aberrant Tales, no two stories are ever the same. In one story, you're being transported to a faraway future where corporations allow access to visions of your future. While in the next, you're taken to a distant land of dark fantasy featuring errant knights and grotesque monstrosities. Aberrant Tales is a unique collection of short fiction for those who are tired of the same old thing. It's unapologetically creative, wonderfully imaginative, and embraces its own unique spirit. Find Aberrant Tales today in ebook, hardcover, and paperback versions. Online and everywhere books are sold. Published by Aberrant Literature. And that's the show this Sunday and this week. Please check out the show notes for more about A Man of the Mountain at our website at sonicsociety.org. Continue the social distancing conversations through Twitter, at AstroTour2010 or at Sonic Society, or at the Facebook groups, either Audio Drama, Radio Drama Lovers, Sonic Society, or Mutual Audio Network fans. Until we're back with you next week, please take care of yourself. And until then, I'm David Alt. And I'm Jack Ward. Be safe. Sonic Society is written and produced weekly by Jack J. Ward and David Alt, with original music by Sharon B. at SharonB.com. All features, interviews, and audio drama shorts are owned completely by their originators and provided to the Sonic Society by Creative Commons Licensing. The Society itself originates from Halifax, Nova Scotia, Canada. Thanks for listening. This has been an Electric Vicuna production. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen, sixteen, seventeen, eighteen, nineteen, twenty. There! That's how long twenty seconds are. 
The Center for Disease Control recommends you wash your hands for at least 20 seconds as often as possible. We don't think about it a lot, but more germs are transmitted by the hands than by any other source. So keep them clean. Soap and water for 20 seconds and you'll help prevent the spread of COVID-19. And maybe some other nasty stuff as well. This was a public service announcement from the Mutual Audio Network.